Let's just, as our call to worship, hear some words from the Old and New Testaments. The Lord said to Abram, leave your country, your people and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And then from the New Testament. Jesus said to Peter, Very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you used to fasten your own belt and go wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will fasten a belt around you and take you where you do not wish to go. The scriptures are full of stories of adventures and journeys, some that were chosen, some that weren't, some just concerning a few individuals and others involving whole nations, some of faith and fortitude, some of rebellion and regret, some of them happy and some of them sad. And yet, in each of these stories, we glimpse a little bit of ourselves and a little bit of the God who journeys with us and find how our story fits in the big story of God's plan for all creation. So let's join in our opening hymn of worship this morning, which takes us through a day, if you like, a day in our life, reminding us that God is with us in the morning in the noontime, and again when we go to bed at night. Lord of all hopefulness, Lord of all joy. And please stand if you're able as we sing together.
And so we are going to come to God in prayer. I'm going to lead us in a prayer that begins with one taken uh, from gathering for worship and which we use from time to time and then extends on to, into something that I've written myself. And at the close of that, we will join together in the Lord's Prayer in whatever language, in whatever form feels most natural. And of course, there will be a version on the screen should anyone wish to follow. So let's pray together. Living God, in this building, used to the sound of singing, where there have been baptisms and funerals, where people have come to be married or to celebrate the birth of a child. This building, where some have wept and some have been filled with joy, where people have struggled with the deep things of life, have prayed urgently been stirred and changed. In this building, where you have so often been with your people, be with us now. Loving God, in these people, who will join our voices in singing, who will listen for your voice in scripture, who will offer their gifts in your service, and bring you concerns in prayer. These people, where some are burdened by sadness and others filled with joy, where some are struggling with everyday life and some are excited by new opportunities and all may be stirred and changed. In these people, among whom you live by your spirit, Be with us now. Living, loving God, ever present in this place as in all places, in these people as in all people, accept our praises, forgive our failings, and lead us onwards in the footsteps of Christ, who taught people just like us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory,
So we've come through Christmas holidays and I'm guessing that most people are back at school, back at college, back at work and probably starting to think about the next holiday. Certainly if you turn on your televisions, you get lots and lots of advertisements telling you to book your holiday now, your atoll protected holiday no doubt, in this exciting place. And some holidays are specifically marketed as adventure holidays. And and this week, I had a look on the internet. I typed adventure holiday into one of the well-known search engines, beginning with G, (laughs) because others are available, you understand. And these are some of the pictures that popped up for adventure holidays. So let's see if anybody would fancy any of these adventures. So I think that one's probably canyoning. Uh, might be white wolf rafting, but I think it's canyoning. Was it? You get all your wetsuits on and you, you go climbing through rock pools. And anyone fancy that one? There's lots of heads. Oh, a few. Yeah, a few people fancy some canyoning, but there are other people going, oh, no way, not for me. Okay. Uh, crossing the camel on a desert. Anybody fancy a camel? Yeah. few people fancy a camel safari. Okay. Skydiving. <laughs> Did you hear Jeff then? Oh, no. That's clearly Jeff's worst nightmare. But Fergus quite fancies some skydiving, do you, Fergie? Well, good for you. Excellent. And and, um, Sam, you fancy skydiving as well? And Carl, despite your recent adventures, you fancy some skydiving with a real parachute that works. Skiing. Anybody fancy skiing holiday? Quite a few people. Some people going, no, that's too cold. But other people thinking, yep. Would like a skiing holiday? Um, scuba diving or snorkeling or deep sea diving? Yep, few people fancy that one. Okay. I have to confess, I hate being underwater, so that one would not do for me at all. Ballooning. Oh, few people fancy, yeah? Quite a few. <laughs> There's a few hands being pushed up by partners here. It's very interesting to watch. A few people fancy ballooning, and that's obviously an exotic location. A, a, a photographic safari. We're not having a nasty a photographic safari. This one's in India, but so you can see tigers and maybe elephants. Yep, quite a few people fancy that one. Horse riding. Oh, Wendy fancies that one. Horse riding on a beach. That looks. That does look fun, doesn't it? Yep. Fergus is up for all, and Amelia and and Rory are up for all these exciting holidays. Is that the last one? Yeah, that's the last one. So lots of different adventures, holidays that you could have. And some people going, yep, I'm up for all of those. And some people were like, no, there is no way you're going to get me to jump out of an aeroplane or go underwater or ride on a camel or whatever it is. Because different ones of us have different things that we think will be fun. One of the things about adventure holidays, though, because they're always atoll protected, is that it's all organised, isn't it? And you have travel insurance, and somebody gives you an itinerary, and somebody's looking out for you to make sure that you have a great time, but it's safe, or at least reasonably safe. You get a bit of a thrill, but you know that at the end of your two weeks, or whatever it is, you can come safe home. And that's great. It's great to do things like that. But adventures don't always come neatly packaged like that. There are some people who are a bit braver. They like book their own holidays and and they go off exploring on their own. 
uh, and they, they backpack. I remember when Victoria was with us, her daughter and, and son-in-law went off to Kazakhstan and Turkmenistan and all the stans on bicycles doing their own thing. So some people are a bit more brave. Other people, like me, actually prefer the holidays kind of safe. But adventures aren't necessarily like that. It can be a big adventure going to school or nursery for the same time. A big adventure going to a new job, moving house, having a baby, getting married. Even going on a bus or a train on your own the first time can be an adventure. I can still remember. That's a very, very long time ago, like about 40 years ago. The first time I was allowed to go on the bus on my own into town and how I stood there all excited at the bus stop and then I got on and then I was quite scared because what if I got off at the wrong stop? It was fine, but it was quite an adventure. One thing about the Bible is it's full of adventure stories and we've already had a little bit of a glimpse of Abraham at the beginning of the service. But one of the best love stories for Christians and Jews and in fact for Muslims as well is the story of Moses who led the Hebrew people out of Egypt on their way to becoming a nation in their own right. And it's a story that the grown-ups are going to be looking at a little bit more later on in the service. But there's a song that I know about Moses. Um, I didn't realise it wasn't very well known in these parts, but that's okay. We're good at learning songs. It's in the hymn book, and it's, uh, it's got a nice bouncy tune. And if nothing else, by the end of it, we'll know the chorus. Moses, I know you're the man, the Lord said. Thanks, Paul.
Chapter 7. As the time drew near for God to fulfill his promise to Abraham, the number of our people in Egypt had greatly increased. Then a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. He dealt treacherously with our people and oppressed our ancestors by forcing them to throw out their newborn babies so that they would die. At that time, Moses was born. And he was no ordinary child. For three months he was cared for by his family. When he was placed outside, Pharaoh's daughter took him and brought him up as her own son. Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. When Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his own people, the Israelites, He saw one of them being mistreated by an Egyptian, so he went to his defence and avenged him by killing the Egyptian. Moses thought that his own people would realise that God was using him to rescue them, but they did not. The next day, Moses came upon two Israelites who were fighting. He tried to reconcile them by saying, Men, you are brothers. Why do you want to hurt each other? But the man who was mistreating the other pushed Moses aside and said, Who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? When Moses heard this, he fled to Midian, where he settled as a foreigner and had two sons. After 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to Moses in the flames of a burning bush in the desert near Mount Sinai. When he saw this, he was amazed at the sight, and he went over to have a closer look. He heard the Lord say, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Moses trembled with fear and did not dare to look. Then the Lord said to him, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. I have indeed seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their groaning and have come down to set them free 
Now come, I will send you back to Egypt. And then from the Old Testament, from Exodus, chapter 3. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. Early this week, I wrote a sermon, and it was fine, and I decided it wasn't right. So I wrote another one, and I have it here, and I may preach it, and I may not. On Friday, with Friday Friendship, we talked through the story of Moses. Um, Due to various reasons, I was sort of like, it was me or Anne, one of us just had to step into the breach, and I didn't think it was very fair to ask Anne to do that. After all, I am the minister person, I'm supposed to be able to do a reflection at two seconds notice and frankly having been an ordained minister for 12 years and a student minister for four years before that and an occasional preacher and girls brigade leader forever before that I think that's perfectly fair 
I put a post on Facebook this morning. Most of you are not my Facebook friends, and most of you will never be my Facebook friends, which is probably right, about Moses. And I said, I'm doing an overview of Moses this morning in church, who was a victim of genocide. He was an adopted child. He was a murderer. He was a runaway. He was a shepherd, a father, a husband, a person who had a mystical encounter with God, a person who was a leader of a nation who um, encountered and challenged Pharaoh, and somebody whose life eventually ended without him arriving at the place he had dreamed of. Moses is a very human man, a man like any of us, and the story of the Exodus and the story of Moses I suspect could be any of our stories. And that's the mystery. That's why this story is so important to Christians and to Jews and to Muslims. A story of the birth of a nation, a nation of people sometimes described as stiff-necked. That kind of meant they were stubborn and did their own thing and didn't want to do what Moses said and certainly didn't want to do what God said because after all, how could you be sure God said it? But yet God never gave up on them. God stayed with them and God stays with us through our journey. And it's an amazing adventure. There's no atoll protection on this one. There's no, this is two weeks in the sunshine riding a camel if that's what you want to do or skydiving if that's what you want to do, and then go home. This is life in its fullness. I think there is a risk amongst Christians that we do a little bit of spiritual thrill-seeking. We want those mountaintop experiences with God, and then we can just kind of get on with life again. Sometimes you go to worship on a Sunday, and I've been guilty of this, and it's fantastic. The music is divine, whether it's the beautiful music we have here or whether it's a worship band, it doesn't matter. It makes your heart sing, your spirit soar. The preaching seems to be absolutely amazing, and it's fabulous. And then you go home, and oh, isn't that great? Didn't I have a lovely time, or didn't we have a lovely time? And then you kind of park it and get on with ordinary life. And that's not the kind of adventure that adventuring with God is really about. Adventuring with God is about the seven days a week. The times when you actually wonder if God is there, never mind if God is speaking. And trust me, the Israelites, the Hebrews would have done that sometimes. Crying out to God year after year after year and nothing seemed to happen. And we don't know how long it will last. It will be our human lifetime. We get that much. But we don't know, for example, how long it will take to get to the next goal that we've come up with or that we believe God has led us to. I actually preached a sermon very similar to this one, which was where my first version started from. Um, In 2005, it was the 10th, I think. It was one, one day different, anyway. It was the equivalent Sunday to this, 2005. Most of you know that before I was here, I served a little church in Leicestershire. I'd arrived there at the beginning of 2004, a freshly qualified minister with all these ideas of how I was going to change the world with a little bit of help from God. And within six months, we'd had an insurance inspection that 
caused us problems. And Hillhead's story also has the insurance inspection that causes problems. And sort of we poddled on and we got um, various things done and we had a lot of support from the Baptist Union and our local association and we'd had the uh, the electricity inspected and we'd had the rising damp and the penetrating damp and goodness knows what else and the asbestos sorted and then the gas man came to do the gas inspection. And it was the 17th of December. I happen to know this because it was two days before my birthday. That's the only reason I remember it. Friday the 17th of December 2004, the gas man came and it was worse than the song, trust me. He started at the beginning of the building and he worked through it. Well, there's an illegal capping off there. The valve's backwards in that fire. That's wrong. And by the time he got to the end of the building, the back of the building, he checked the pressure drop from the front to the back and he said, looked at me and he said, well, actually what he said was a real surprise. He said, you've got a funeral this afternoon, haven't you? And I said, well, yeah, yeah, we do have a funeral this afternoon. That's a story for another day. It was, it shouldn't happen to a vicar, that funeral. Yeah, he said, I thought you had. Well, I'll have to go back to the office and check my thumbs because I might have them wrong. But actually, I'm going to have to come back on Monday and close your building. It's not safe. Now, I think that was a really gracious thing of him to do. He could have said, you've got to close now. Tough, you can't hold your funeral. What he actually said to me, and it's right, well, it's no more going to blow up now than it was before I inspected it, but it's, it's not safe. You can't use this building. So we had the funeral, and the Sunday, which was my birthday, was also the carols service. That year, without candlelight, because if we'd had the candles, <laughs> the gas man would have definitely been right. And then we got into Christmas week, and we phoned, well, I phoned around. Where could we hold our Christmas Eve service? Where could we hold our Christmas Day service? And our friends at the Anglican Church said, come to us, come and use our, we're a little congregation, come and use our side chapel for your Christmas Eve service. We don't have a morning service, we have a very early communion on Christmas Day, we don't have a service, feel free to use the big church for that. And then on Boxing Day at, so this is like six days notice, the vicar and I did a joint service, which was really special. Boxing Day 2004, the tsunami that affected the Far East. Our little adventure was immediately set in a bigger context, that there are people across the world for whom these unchosen, unplanned adventures arise. A lot of time has gone on since then, and I won't bore you with the story, but uh, 2009, January, I had a phone call from one Reverend Dr. Jim Gordon, to say, um, there's a vacant church in Scotland that you might be interested in talking to. And he told me a little bit about this church. Oh, okay. But there was a problem. I was actually committed to have an interview for a post in Yorkshire. So I said, I really can't talk to this church. That would be morally wrong until I've finished this process. So I talked to my church, in, to, this went to an interview in Yorkshire, and I didn't get the job, and I think that was absolutely right, and I think the person who was appointed was also absolutely right. And I had a conversation with this church in Scotland. And so here we are, however many years on it is from that, well into our seventh year together. And we've already had an adventure, haven't we? Some of it we would never have chosen, some of it I would never have chosen. I would never have chosen to get sick within a year of arriving here. 
but how well you looked after me at that time and how much everybody stuck together and carried on the work of this church, of which we are rightly proud. And the journey has had all sorts of challenges for us. We continue to have fun and games with our building, don't we? When it rains, we have a beautiful water feature in our foyer. When it's cold and the snow gets too deep, we have to shut because otherwise the insurers get cross. And should there be a hurricane, which has never blown us down, we are the one building in the west end of Glasgow that has to close. The one across the road has been damaged twice by wind in the time I've been here. We're still here, but there you go. That's how it is. We've been on an adventure thinking about questions of sexuality, human sexuality, and what's okay and what's not okay. Who can you marry? And I really value how you as a church allowed me to continue to explore that at a time when both of our Baptist unions had a very clear line that ministers had to toe. The Baptist Union of Scotland still has that line. The Baptist Union of Great Britain has moved a bit and has granted freedom of conscience to Baptist ministers. And I'm really proud that this is a church that is an affirming church, a church where you are welcome to be part of us, whatever your sexuality, whether you're LGBTI or heck, what does any of that mean? A church where you are welcome to be fully part of us if you are up for that affirming position or if you are at an accepting position so that you think, yep, it's okay to be gay or whatever, but I'm not sure about marriage. And if you're a a position that says, you know what, I think that's wrong, that's sinful. We have people of all of those positions in this church worshipping and working together. And I'm very proud of that. And I'm proud that you gave me the space to travel my own journey with that. We're a church that continues to reach out into the community, one of the few community spaces in this area. And it's lovely if you come in on uh, an evening and there's sort of people standing outside having a fag and, you know, chatting and perhaps not nice churchy stuff, but it's our church. And have you seen the bench out there? The bench that is a memorial for one of the NA people for whom this was his home. This man had had a chaotic life. He'd never really called anywhere home apart from the NA meeting at Hellhead Baptist Church. And so his friends wanted to put a bench there. And we were concerned that if they put a bench there, it would get nicked. Thus far, it's fine. But do look at that bench. This is a bench of people who share our adventure. Moses was a man who didn't know where his life was going to go. And when I preached at Hugglescote, I didn't, I, well, I went to great lengths to tell them that I am not Moses. I really am not. The only two things that Moses and I have in common is we're both quite bad-tempered and we both have a stormy relationship with God. Beyond that, we're very different. And our contexts are very different, very unique. The adventure that Moses had and that the Hebrew people, the Israelite people had, wasn't the kind you find in a nice storybook. It wasn't the sort you get on an adventure holiday. In fact, most of it we know nothing about. You might have picked up um, in the reading from Acts, so we, like we, we meet Moses as a baby, and then nothing until he's about 40. Now, that's kind of biblical language for a long time. But he's a grown man, and he murders somebody. He gets so angry at what he sees that he murders somebody, and then he runs away. 
and he gets married and he has a family and we hear nothing for 40 years, a very long time. In fact, Moses by now would be quite a senior person sitting in our church, wouldn't he? He'd be about 80 years old, certainly 50 or 60 if we take a slightly less literal view of it. And he has another encounter with God. And then there's the whole bit about leaving Egypt. And then there's the 40 years in the wilderness. And it wasn't as if God said to them at the start, you're going to be in the wilderness for 40 years. It was kind of how it worked out. They weren't yet ready to enter the promised land. They had to, whole generation had to grow up and pass away. Learning what it was to be a nation. Learning what it was to walk with God. And Moses was told by God, you'll never quite enter that promise. And he didn't, but he glimpsed it. He glimpsed it. God doesn't promise any of us that we will see our new building, though please let us, and please let it happen. God doesn't promise any of us an easy life, that things will go the way we plan. But God promises to walk with us all the way. In the story of the Exodus, there is the cloud of the pillar of cloud by day and the column of fire by night. This visible sign that God is always there. Unfortunately, I've looked for clouds many times to see what God is saying to me, and God doesn't. When I was looking for a church uh, around the time that Huggles Co. were letting me go, I would always look out of my window and look at the blue sky, because we've got blue sky in Leicestershire, and there would be clouds. And I'd say, could you make me a cloud that looks like where... Is that cloud? Does that cloud look like Wales? Or does that cloud look like the Isle of Wight? Or does it just look like a cloud? God doesn't do that for me. And probably God doesn't do that for you. And God's light is most prominently revealed to us in Christ, isn't it? Christ is the light of the world. But we're also told that we are the light of the world. That's one of those juxtapositions in the Bible that Christ is the light of the world but so also are we and there's that lovely line um, in the the hymn brother sister let me serve you that says I will hold the Christ light for you in the night time of your fear and it's this image of traveling together carrying the light with and for each other trusting that even when God is silent even when we wonder if God has gone off on holiday that God is still there, that God will never give up on us, that God never fails. When I was leaving college, my tutor said to me, well, what would be your ideal church and what would be your nightmare? And I said, I really don't want a building project. God's given me two building projects because somehow in all of that, God knew that what I had already done, the choices that I'd made, either in my stiff-necked way or in line with what God thought was a good idea, all that would weave together and bring me to be somebody who could be useful in churches faced by building projects. I don't get it all right. I don't get it all wrong. And none of us gets it all right or gets it all wrong. That's not the point. The point is that we're on this adventure together And it's an adventure with God. Amen. So back to the script now. And we're going to sing a very beautiful hymn. Bonhoeffer's 
New Year hymn. We know the story of Bonhoeffer. He wrote this hymn not long before he was executed. Bonhoeffer was a pastor in Germany who came to be part of the Confessing Church and got involved in a plot to kill Hitler. Maybe seems a strange thing for a, a Christian minister to do, but that was where he felt himself led. And he was arrested and he wrote all sorts of beautiful and powerful stuff whilst he was in prison. And he wrote this hymn for the new year, which is a challenging thing, but a beautiful thing. And I want us to use this as our prayer at the start of this year. By gracious powers, so wonderfully sheltered and confidently waiting come what may, we know that God is with us night and morning and never fails to meet us each new day. We stand if we can as we sing.
our prayers for others and for each other are based on some of the characters in the Exodus story and their contemporary counterparts. So let's pray together. God of freedom and justice, ever present in the joys and struggles of everyday life, we bring to you now our prayers for others and for each other. The story of the Hebrew people reminds us of the countless people groups around the world who are oppressed or exploited, abused or denied justice purely because of who they are. We could reel off long lists of people and places around the globe affected by slavery or trafficking, yet we know it also occurs on our own doorstep. We could spend ages identifying every possible prejudice or disadvantage that ought to be addressed, at least to the advantage of us or those we care about. Yet we know that there will be others of which we are oblivious, or in fact to whom we are prejudiced. Help us not to be demoralised by the scale of human inhumanity, but instead to be candles of hope, speaking and doing what we can in those situations of which we are aware. The role of the Egyptians in the story reminds us how easy it is to caricature and stigmatise others based on outdated, flawed or fundamentally wrong information. We recognise how easy it is to extrapolate from some personal slight or bad experience to a whole people group, whilst at the same time being indignant and enraged when such stereotypes are applied to our own. Help us to move beyond categories of them and us to see that all humanity bears your image, that everyone is loved by you, and help us to be channels of reconciliation and peace wherever we can. The Hebrew midwives and the daughter of Pharaoh, minor characters in the story, remind us of those who courageously stand up for truth and justice even at risk to themselves. We thank you for activists and prophets, willing to speak for those who are otherwise voiceless, prepared to challenge those whose power seems unassailable, discovering and enacting subversive acts to bring hope in place of despair. Whether or not we feel able to emulate such endeavours, Show us how we too may speak truth to power in our own context. Moses, adopted prince, angry murderer, resident alien and flawed leader, reminds us how readily we can be drawn into unrealistic expectations of those entrusted with huge responsibility especially those who serve as leaders of nations, financial institutions or multinational corporations. Help us to recall that they are people too, with their own stories, 
mostly unknown to us. Their own hopes and fears, their own values and their own questions. Especially though, we pray for those powerful leaders who are people of faith, that the truths they espouse in worship will be for them a light in the murkiness of inevitable compromise and challenge. The people on the journey remind us of ourselves, all ages and stages, each unique and precious, each with gifts and talents, each with flaws and limits, each with something to contribute to the story, and each capable of shaping its outcome. In the challenges we face, individually and collectively, please help us to be the Christ light to each other, to walk together and to watch over one another in the days ahead as we continue our own lifetime adventure with God. All these things we ask in the name of Jesus, the light of the world. Amen.
loving and generous God who came to us in a little child, born in a back street in a small town. We are glad that you are with us in our own side streets in a big city. And we are glad that you involve us in your adventure. So we offer these gifts and ask that they be used wisely and well for the extension of your kingdom. Amen. Our closing hymn is a golden oldie and it is a really big Friday Friendship favourite. We sing it nearly every week at Friday Friendship when we get the chance. Um, And it's one that I've certainly known for many, many years and I hope you will enjoy singing it um, and give you a lift as we go on out into the challenges of the week ahead. Trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey.
this is probably selfless, shameless self-indulgence, not selfless shame indulgence, shameless self-indulgence. But I'm going to use a very favourite Irish Gaelic blessing for us today. May the road rise up to meet you. May the winds be always at your back. May the sun shine warm upon your face and the rains fall soft upon your fields. And until we meet again, may you be held in the hollow of God's hand. Thank mm-hmm. you.